0: Welcome to this episode of the Australian Naval History podcast series where we examine important events in the Royal Australian Navy's history. Hello, I'm Peter Jones, a retired Vice Admiral and a member of the Naval Studies Group at the University of New South Wales, Canberra. On 10 October 1927, the cruiser HMAS Adelaide sailed at short notice from Sydney in response to a request for assistance from the High Commissioner in Suva she was to respond to a reported general uprising in the Malaita province of the Solomon Islands. To tell the story of HMAS Adelaide and the Malaita expedition, I'm joined by Commander Greg Swindon, who has written a history of the cruiser Adelaide, as well as written on the Malaita expedition. And also Commander Neil Westphalen, who is writing a PhD dissertation on the history of the RN's medical services. Thank you for joining me. First off, let's set the scene. Neil Westphalen, what was happening in Malaita that prompted the request from the High Commissioner in Suva? Uh,
1: Thanks, Peter. Uh, To understand what uh, happened, uh, one must first appreciate the context. The uh, Indigenous populations on the Solomons have lived for centuries in tribal communities that uh, engaged in endemic blood feuds as part of their ancestral worship beliefs. These entailed family members either avenging their dead relatives themselves or paying some form of money to a Ramos or Hitman to do the killing for them. The potential for violence was made worse when Europeans began arriving uh, in the early 1800s. Their presence took two forms, uh, recruiting native labour, often by kidnapping, uh, a practice known as blackbirding, and establishing copper and other plantations on tribal land. Hence, the British established a protectorate in 1893 to provide law and order which entailed setting up a government centre on Tulagi and patrol officers for each of the islands. The patrol officer for Malaita was an Australian named George Bell, a Boer War veteran who had arrived in the Solomons in 1915. Although he gained the respect of most of the coastal tribes of Malaita, the inland Quay Quay, uh, tribesmen remained defiant such that in attempting to end their blood feuds, Bell made himself a target. This situation was not helped by a 1920 decision to introduce a head tax, which was intended to make the protectorate self-supporting and force the locals to abandon their subsistence lifestyles in lieu of paid employments at the plantations. Although Bell did his best to avoid implementing this decision, he had to begin collecting those taxes from 1923. Doing so also did not go well with the Kwai, in particular with a guy named Bassiana, a powerful and feared Ramo. So, when Bell and a district uh, Cadet district officer and 13 native police went to collect the tax from the Kwai on the 3rd of October 1927, they were ambushed by a group led by Bassiana who personally bashed uh, Bell Scullin with a rifle butt, while the rest were killed with axes, machetes, spears and arrows. When the Talagi administration found out uh, the following day, it was feared this incident presaged a general uprising. It therefore requested assistance from the British Admiralty via the High Commission in Suva, which went to the Colonial Office. The Admiralty passed it to the Australian Navy Office, which was approved by the Defence Minister... Uh, who was uh, Major General Sue Neville House, an Army Medical Officer and the first Australian VC winner. This tasking was then given to the light cruiser HMS Adelaide.
0: OK, thanks, Neil. So, Greg, can you tell us something of Adelaide, her captain, and, and why was she selected?
2: Thanks, Peter. It is interesting that uh, the Australian Government was asked to provide a warship to support uh, the issues in the British Solomon Islands, noting that there were already two... British warships serving on the New Zealand station and they weren't uh, available to be sent. Adelaide was a a modern six-inch cruiser, carrying six-inch guns. The commanding officer was Gerald Harrison, who was a Royal Navy officer, uh, fairly gruff but fairly pragmatic, and a very capable officer. Uh, The survey vessel HMAS Geranium, which was in in, uh, Queensland waters at the time, was also put on standby. Uh, to go to the Solomons, but uh, they realised quickly that she was too slow in order to keep up with uh, Adelaide, uh, and she was not required. Harrison uh, received advice on the morning of the 9th of October that uh, Adelaide was to sail for the Solomon Islands. Uh, They then spent the next uh, 36 hours getting the ship ready for sea, coaling, taking on extra stores, uh, additional personnel as required, Uh, They didn't know what they really were up against, uh, so they loaded uh, a large amount of extra stores, tents, barbed wire, ammunition, including uh, mills bombs or grenades as we now know them, axes, shovel, extra food, medical stores. Uh, Two were the uh, ship's uh, petty officers, telegraphists. uh, On their own volition, went ashore and with their own money uh, bought enough parts to build uh, wireless sets. There weren't enough in the Australian inventory at that time and the thought was that they would need to be able to put troops ashore or put personnel ashore and they would need to communicate with the ship so they built literally wireless sets from spare parts as the ship uh, deployed to the Solomons. Adelaide sailed on the evening of the 10th of October so within 36 hours uh, she was ready to go, steamed at 20 knots uh, across uh, towards the Solomons and she arrived at Tulagi on the 14th of October. Now that's a distance of uh, 2,800 kilometres, or 1,400 nautical miles, and they averaged a speed of about 14 knots. Once they arrived, uh, the CO of Adelaide went ashore and spoke to the Resident Commissioner, who was at Tulagi, and found out that it was probably an overreaction uh, that there wasn't a, a, a Solomon Islands-wide uh, uprising and it was related to you know, a single group of men on the island of Malaita. The decision was made by uh, the resident commissioner, Richard Kane, in discussions with uh, with the C.I. of Adelaide, that a local police force under white officers or British officers would uh, play the major role in this activity and that Adelaide and her personnel would be in a purely support role. They would be there to provide logistics uh, for the personnel ashore, communications and base security. They were not going to be out there hunting for the perpetrators of the crime.
0: Okay, well thanks uh, Greg, you've set set us up there pretty well to understand the initial stage of the expedition. But back to you, Neil. Um, Health issues were to play a large part in this story. To start with, uh, what were the health risks of operating in the tropics um, in the early 20th century? And and what uh, measures were put in place aboard Adelaide?
1: Thanks, Peter. Uh, Before doing so, I think it's uh, important to understand why uh, unlike encounters, uh, Spanish influenza relief mission to the Southwest uh, Pacific in 1919. So not all that far behind. The Army and uh, Air Force uh, Medical Services didn't uh, participate in this deployment. the The answer to that was that although the peacetime Army Medical Services had the numbers, they only comprised militia personnel who were legally barred from serving overseas while the Air Force only had one part-time medical officer, each in New South Wales and Victoria, uh, which meant they didn't have the numbers. On the other hand, uh, the uh, Singapore strategy agreed to at the 1923 Imperial Conference had led to the RAN sending ships to the China Station and elsewhere, while also exercising its primary trade protection role throughout the Australian Station and the Southwest Pacific. In addition, it also assumed the uh, local hydrographic survey duties from the RN in 1920 20s, in 1920. Sorry. Uh, this meant that unlike the other services, Navy required a full-time permanent uh, medical service even in peacetime. This comprised about 25 medical and wardmaster officers and up to 90 sick birth attendants for service ashore as well as afloat. Of these, Adelaide's normal peacetime ships complement included a single medical officer and two sick baymen. The deployment itself um, had three main medical problems. Um, Malaria from from, uh, mosquitoes, uh, for which quinine was available for treatment but was not particularly effective for prevention. Dysentery from dirty water ashore, uh, particularly if the field hygiene wasn't great and uh, the threat posed from minor cuts, abrasions and, and insect bites uh, that quickly became infected despite um, antiseptics, uh, noting that uh, antibiotics didn't become available until the following decade. So for those reasons, Adelaide gained a second medical officer and another two sick birth attendants, uh, as well as additional medical so- stores before she sailed from Sydney.
0: Okay, thanks Neil. Back to you Greg. So, uh, so what transpired after the, uh, the the arrival of the ship and then actually commencing operations, of, so to speak. Yeah.
2: So Adelaide arrived at uh, Malaita, uh, anchoring off a, uh, a small village called Sinelagu on the 16th of October, and this is 13 days after the massacre has occurred. They still didn't know what opposition they may uh, meet, uh, so... Harrison had upper deck sentries, armed upper deck sentries, posted for the entire period of the time. Uh, that said, there were several natives came out in canoes to uh, to see the ship uh, and barter uh, fruit for in exchange for tobacco from the from the ship's company. On the seventeenth, the the first of the Australian personnel went ashore uh, to set up uh, what became known as. Uh, Beach camp, their main base camp, and this was done at the site of the massacre. Uh, a number of those who'd been killed in the engagement uh, two weeks before had been buried hastily uh, at this site, and so one of the uh, unfortunate tasks for the first of the Australian sailors ashore was to uh, disinter the bodies of those who'd been killed, mainly the native police, and then rebury them in deeper graves. Uh, not a very pleasant task as the bodies had been in the ground in a tropical environment for, uh, for two weeks. The tax hut where the uh, incident had occurred was burned uh, as a signal to the uh, natives inland that uh, forces had arrived in order to uh, seek them out. Tents were erected, barbed wire entanglements uh, were set up around the camp uh, and basically they set up a small military base accommodation, uh, galley set up to feed 75 personnel and training was then undertaken uh, to teach some of the Australian sailors uh, how to actually fire their rifles and how to uh, throw a mills bomb or a grenade if they were ever required to do so. Also uh, accompanying uh, Harrison and his personnel were 30 uh, white volunteers uh, 30 planters from the Solomon areas uh, who decided that they were going to come along and you know, teach the natives a lesson. Uh, this white force, as it was called, proved to be uh, more hindrance than help. Uh, they were very unfit and uh, carrying a large quantity of kit with them and uh, generally each evening uh, consumed large amounts of alcohol which made them almost useless for the, uh, for the entire activity large number of porters had to be recruited as well so that as the, uh, the forces made their way inland uh, the large quantity of equipment that they required in order to support themselves was carried by native labourers. So, having set up a beach base, on the 19th of October the first group moved inland. Uh, this consisted of uh, 30 men from Adelaide who were armed. They were escorting the new district officer for Malita and several native police. Uh, and they forced their way inland and eventually found a deserted village at an area called Finguradu. Uh, it had a natural spring nearby and this became the site of Base B, uh, an inland base for the uh, the activities to occur. After that, they continued to push inland and uh, set up a second base ashore, uh, at uh, Falavalo, which was designated base A. This was going to be the main base from which the uh, white officers and the native police would then go out into the hinterland and search for the perpetrators of the massacre. Behind the scenes, uh, there was quite a lot of logistics work going on. Some of the uh, telegraphists from Adelaide had been left at Tulagi so that they could communicate with the ship and also uh, with the British government. Uh, And ashore, the field wireless sets that had been built uh, by the two Australian telegraphers and route were then taken ashore and placed at uh, base A and base B so that they could communicate with the ship and then hence back to to Tulagi. The the, um, Bila Wheeler, which was a a collier, was also sent after uh, from Australia When she arrived on the 23rd of October, she was able to then re-coal Adelaide, which had used most of its coal in order to get to the the Solomons and also carried uh, more food, medical supplies and stores for construction of the bases ashore. They also brought in an additional four field wireless sets which had been handed over by the Army for this activity. The Navy's role was purely to provide the logistic support and the base security for the police force that was going to operate ashore. And once the two bases had been set up, uh, they pretty much stayed within the bases providing that logistic support and security. The Solomon Islands Police Force would then move out into the hinterland to look for the, uh, the perpetrators of the crime. And that began to occur there was a number of villages in the area who were supportive of the British government, but that was mainly to do with their hatred of the other tribes that had caused the, uh, the atrocity. And so over the next six to eight weeks, rounding up the perpetrators of the crime actually proved to be somewhat more easier because, you know, to use the old Australian vernacular, the locals dobbed in the bad guys so they knew where to to look for them. Uh, So it took probably about seven to eight weeks uh, to basically round them up from their various areas. The Navy's activities began to wind down as more and more of the the perpetrators of the crime uh, were found. Uh, And by mid-November, the bulk of Adelaide's personnel had withdrawn from uh, the outlying bases, back to Beach Base. And on the 16th of November, uh, Adelaide sailed and returned to Australia. A couple of their telegraphists were left behind in Malata and Tulagi to maintain the communication with the police who were still operating in some parts of the island. And they finally returned to Australia by commercial steamer in early 1928.
0: So did um, what happened to the perpetrators of the, of the massacre?
2: So a number of them were captured and uh, taken to Tulagi, which was the centre of uh, the Solomon Islands government at that stage. Uh, Honiara was something that was created after World War II. Uh, They were tried for the murder of uh, the district officer and uh, Cadet Lillies and also for a number of the native police. Some of them were found to be innocent. Uh, They'd just been accidentally rounded up uh, with the others. Uh, but a number of them uh faced trial uh, in nineteen twenty eight uh particularly Bassania, who was the leader of the of the massacre and he and others were eventually hanged uh Certainly it was something that uh showed that the British were very uh keen to impose their their will on the on the on the natives uh but it also became a source of irritation over a number of years that uh caused you know underlying tensions with the british administration
0: okay thanks um neil so what what were the the medical aspects um f- during that that land phase of the operation i guess both for the um for the for the navy and the police and and did um the the navy treat any of the the choir warriors that were um, apprehended as well, uh,
1: uh, Peter. That well, uh, the second answer to the second part is that there's no record in um, Adelaide's medical journal that that actually happened. Although um, the question is whether that w- they would have documented those cases, which is um, a bit sort of debatable. Um, the I, I think probably the the main sort of issue as far as um, the um, uh, the Quay were concerned when um, um, was relates to uh, the people that were um, arrested um, my understanding is that there was around about 200 uh, guys who were arrested and taken to Tulagi and um, over the next three months um, 173 so nearly all of them uh, were admitted to hospital with dysentery and 30 of those actually died and um, going on from uh, what Greg was saying earlier, um, out of the um, 170-odd survivors, uh, 71 were charged, 21 underwent trial, and six, including Bassiana, were hanged. Um, As far as um, the stuff... uh, As far as um, stuff from the Navy's um, perspective were concerned, um, Adelaide had... um, a few of the normal sort of cases you'd get anywhere else, so somebody with bronchitis, uh, somebody with a tonsil abscess, uh, which is uh, quite dangerous at times. Um, one bloke had uh, multiple boils on his backside, um, and, uh, of course, uh, there was also a couple of guys with uh, leg and wrist injuries, um, the latter including the obligatory sports injury. Uh, this one, That one's from boxing. Um... Otherwise, uh, her health issues can be split between the communications party left behind at Talagi, and those ashore at Malata. Um, despite better living conditions, the um, communications party had 17 guys and they provided 10 of the ship's 16 malaria cases. That probably reflects uh, poor anti-malarial supervision from doing what the locals were doing without them sort of realising that... Um, the, uh, the locals had already had theirs and were sort of um, somewhat less susceptible to recurrences. All those patients we were admitted to the uh, Tulagi uh, Government Hospital and Adelaide picked them up on the way home. Um, meanwhile at uh, Malata, uh, Adelaide's sick-based staff were split between the ship and the shore party, uh, each with uh, a medical officer and two sick-birth attendants. Um, once it became apparent that the ship's uh, stretcher bearers couldn't uh, cope with the harsh terrain ashore, uh, the medical teams ended up using the native carriers, um, to my mind rather a bit like what uh, how the Fuzzy Wuzzy Angels were used in New Guinea 15 years later. Um, together they treated the other six malaria cases, uh, which included one of the local civilians, as well as uh, 15 cases of uh, bacillary dysentery and a couple of patients with um, infected wounds. Amid all of those, uh, the senior medical officer, uh, surgeon lieutenant commander, or later surgeon captain, uh, David Prentice, uh, got a patient with um, pneumonia, uh, who eventually needed life-saving chest surgery, which was not a minor procedure at the time, even in uh, a major teaching hospital. As the sick bay was full of dysentery cases, he couldn't do the surgery there, so he decided to use the gunroom bathroom as an improvised um, operating theatre. Furthermore, uh, as uh, the other medical officer, uh, Surgeon Lieutenant Jeff Courtney, was with the shore party inland, he ended up using his uh, sick birth petty officer, uh, James Warwick, to give the anaesthetic. With the, uh, quote, very doubtful assistance of sick birth attendant Ant- uh, Leonard Anthony, Prentice opened the chest from which he drained nearly two litres of pus. Uh, amazingly, amid all that, the patient made a full recovery. On returning to Sydney, um, Adelaide landed two officers to the Royal Prince Alfred Hospital and 27 sailors to the naval wing at, uh, medical wing at uh, Randwick uh, Repatriation Hospital. Uh, albeit mostly for quarantine purposes, uh, although uh, two guys ended up being um, invalided from the Navy.
0: OK, thanks, Neil. Um, so, Greg, what was the reaction um, back in Australia to this expedition and and um, Adelaide's involvement?
2: Yeah, that's interesting because the government of the day, uh, under Stanley Melbourne Bruce, uh, was supportive of the British request and, uh, and uh, made sure that... Adelaide was available to sail and undertake the activity. Uh, The Labor opposition was not supportive of the activity at all, Uh, and so there were questions in Parliament on why the ship had been sent in the first place, why were we supporting a British uh, activity, uh, and why the Royal Navy was unable to to provide that, uh, that support. At the end of the day, it was a moot point. The Australians had been asked and Bruce, as the Prime Minister, had approved the deployment of the ship. It proved that the Navy was more than capable of deploying at short notice. Uh, It showed that uh, Navy logistics, uh, medical support and communication support was essential to the operation, and the fact that uh, the uh, Fleet Auxiliary Wheeler had been dispatched afterwards to provide uh, enough coal for... Adelaide to return to Australia plus providing additional support proved that the RAN and Australia had the ability to uh, react quickly to uh, an emergency uh, at some distance from Australia and provide the necessary support.
0: So, so what about uh, in the Solomons, um, what, what was the sort of fallout, if you like, or long-term uh, aspects to the, the later operation?
2: Uh, it became apparent uh, over a number of years and there was a, uh, some research done in the 1970s where uh, two Australian university professors went to the Solomon Islands to talk to the people at Malaita about their recollections of uh, the activity and there were a number of people still alive at that stage who had been uh, children or adults at that time and remembered quite clearly, uh, you know, the white men coming ashore uh, to round up uh, those natives uh, who had been involved in in the incident. Uh, for some, it was just you know, another white incursion into their land. Uh, for others, whose uh, family members were amongst those that had been rounded up, uh, they it was became an activity where they became dist- more and more distrustful of. Of the white uh, administration in the Solomons, uh, there were claims made that uh, uh, you know, gardens were raided for for fresh food uh, and that some of some local shrines uh, to the dead may have been uh, desecrated uh, but there is little proof of that, but the possibility is that it did occur. Uh,
0: Okay, thank you. So, um so perhaps to wrap up the the story, um uh, Neil, have you got any f- uh, final thoughts on on Navy's involvement in the later expedition?
1: Uh well, Peter, I think there's a couple of things. I think the the first point to, to, that I think has to be said is that this whole episode had um all of the elements of a Greek tragedy, uh in particular the roles played by Bell and Bassiana. Uh, and overall, the, you can't really say that this was a particularly um, edifying episode for anyone involved. Um, from a, a medical perspective, I think there's two sets of, of lessons, one clinical and one historiographic. historiographic. The, um, the key clinical challenges uh, faced by uh, Prentice and his team pertain to the lack of effective anti-malarial agents apart from quinine, the lack of antibiotics to treat conditions such as dysentery or even uh, commonal garden pneumonia and uh, above all else uh, having to support this deployment uh, by themselves um, um, in particular uh, without uh, any sort of um, um, medical evacuation capability let alone an aeromedical evacuation capability that nowadays we take for granted. Um, The other... I suppose the other striking thing about uh, this deployment uh, from that perspective uh, pertains to um, uh, despite the advances in their prevention and treatment since um, the health threats they face uh, still pose major challenges even now uh, when we go into the southwest Pacific. The historiographic medical lessons are less well recognised. Um, But stemmed from the fact that the interwar Army medical services only comprised a militia that was legally barred from serving overseas in peacetime, while the Air Force medical services were far too small to do likewise. So that meant Navy had the only medical service that could undertake this deployment at the the short notice that Greg refers to, um, and it and as such, I think it demonstrates why uh, the Navy's interwar war medical support requirements were somewhat broader than the other services. And you could argue that they're, in fact, they're generally comparable to what it needed during uh, wartime. And that explains why, even during the height of the Great Depression, Navy decided to uh, maintain its own medical services in lieu of some of the amalgamation proposals that were happening at the time.
0: Okay, thanks, Neil. And what about you, Greg? It's interesting that
2: uh, if this activity occurred today, that uh, it would more than likely, once the uh, it was completed, that uh, those who took part would be probably awarded a, a service medal for their, their activities. There would probably be a number of commendations and awards going out to the people. This activity, uh, however, was pretty quietly left alone. Uh, the two Petty Officer Telegraphists who uh, built the wireless sets en uh, route uh, were reimbursed the money that they, they had spent, which was nice. Uh, there were several personnel uh, given commendations by the Naval Board, uh, which was basically a formal letter that went onto their service record saying that they'd done well. The, the equivalent today of a Chief of Navy's commendation. Uh, six personnel were given special promotion to the next rank uh, for their uh, their service. You sure, uh, Harrison uh, put forward a list of other personnel that were deserving of higher recognition. You know, basically some form of honour and award in the yeah uh, in the uh, uh, medal system at that time. Uh, that was sent directly to the British Foreign Office, uh, where it uh, went to ground and was never actioned uh overall after the activity uh the rewards uh, to the australian naval personnel who took place uh, took part in the activity were quite minor and after that the government pretty much forgot about anything else
0: okay thanks greg well we haven't forgotten about it <laughs> so so hopefully listeners will have uh, found the story of uh the adelaide and the Malaita expedition of, uh, of interest. So uh, sadly, that's all we have time for. My thanks to uh, Greg Swindon and to Neil Westphalen. Today's podcast is produced by the Naval Studies Group at the University of New South Wales in Canberra with the assistance of the university's Creative Media Unit. Its production is supported by the, the Royal Australian Navy Sea Power Centre, the Australian Naval Institute, the Naval Historical Society of Australia and the Submarine Institute of Australia. Thank you for joining us. And if you like this episode, please let other people know about the Australian Naval History podcast series. Goodbye for now.